You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Amen. Well, hey, it's good to be back. As many of you know, uh, last year, uh, our family took our first sabbatical. It was a part of a pre-planned pre-planned. Every seven years, we were trying to take a sabbatical, had a little hiccup, whole thing of COVID, but we finally did it out of obedience and love of Jesus to be refreshed, to be renewed, to uh, seek the Lord. And the cool thing about this last vacation that we just took, uh, we took three weeks, and that was a part of the sort of the sabbatical renewal process and plan to take a big block of time to just spend time with family. And we were blessed to be able to go to the some of the same places we went to last year. Very special. So we went up to Connecticut again, uh, the Swan House, as it's lovingly, affectionately known as. Uh, the swans were still there. It was incredible. Uh, the monastery was still there, where I did a silent retreat. Went up there a couple of times. Uh, got to go to Pennsylvania, see the Sight and Sound Theater, the Life of David. Um, personally went through Second Corinthians on my own, you know, just great time. Family, vacation, friends. Uh, it was awesome. And, and reminders are really powerful when you have like a sense, a smell, or you go back to a certain location and there's like a flood of memories that just come to you. Many of you guys know this. If you've, if you've, if you've lived life and you go to a certain spot or even like a smell could bring you to a certain generation. And it was just so great to be able to go to some of these spots and be reminded of what God did last year, of how he's still moving and uh, reminded, of, reminded me and, and Laura and just the, the blessing of just being, having a church and just the miraculous miracle of like, there's people that we get to lead and serve and love and they love us and we get to love them. And just to grow together is a, a blessed reminder. I was blessed of just a privilege to be a lead pastor at Redemption Church. And um, although there are challenges, man, I, I wouldn't do anything else in the world. And that confirmation from that sabbatical and refreshment of this time is just, just, overwhelming God's goodness in my life and to be like, man, this is just awesome to actually enjoy his grace. And grace looks different in different seasons and different areas. What I'm doing right now is the grace of God. And it could be hard. And what you're doing and experiencing right now, even though it may be a difficult season, is the grace of God. And so just to realize that, accept that, uh, it really made me think of this text that we're gonna go through tonight. Uh, we're in Exodus chapter, chapter five. We're gonna go through the whole chapter and a little bit of chapter six through 13. And in our study tonight, we really see, have been trekking along Moses' story. Uh, in the back, there's a little pamphlet of the life of Moses to give you a big overview because the first five books are written by this guy named Moses. A lot of Exodus is he's the lead character, the main guy that God is going to use. And we're really seeing a pattern of, of redemption. The series is called God Redeems because God really redeemed Moses. He gives Moses this great calling after Moses sort of blew it. After he killed someone, tried to do something on his own strength, he got humbled in the wilderness in the desert. And then God, last week, we looked at through the message of how God like sent Moses back. And these patterns, these pictures of God's grace of how he dealt with Moses still deal with us, right? When we get redeemed, uh, God forgives our sin. We blow it. We fall short. And he gives us a call, a purpose, a plan. And he, he sends us back and want to be light and and. and in, in this dark world. And both Pastor Rob and Pastor Will did a great job sort of just walking us through uh, um, Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. And so tonight we're in Exodus 5. And um, 
Today's text, it made me think of how Moses, he had a clear calling and he was now going to fulfill it, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. He encounters discouragement. And we're going to see that in this text tonight. Moses actually obeys God. And now we're at the spot where he's going back in obedience and love of God, being restored, having humility. And he goes back to Egypt and he's going to experience opposition. You ever have some of that in your life? Difficulty? Opposition? And here's a lesson I want us to sort of understand and embrace in the redemption story, not only in Moses or in the Israelites, but in our lives. Obedience to God's call does not mean everything will be easy. Obedience to God's calling in your life, if it's a calling of a wife, a grandma, a a child of God, a a friend, um, a minister of the gospel, like whatever he's called us to, when we obey that calling, it doesn't mean that everything now is just cakewalk. And we're gonna see this in the life of the nation of Israel and the life of Moses, and he's actually gonna experience some opposition. This is true with Moses. This is true with us as we live for Christ. Now, of course, as we follow God, we are blessed. There are all spiritual blessings found in Christ, but there's also a thing called spiritual warfare as well. Spiritual warfare. Let me explain. God redeems us by his grace. And we are snatched from darkness into the light because of what God has done. He gives us this great grace. We receive the grace of God. We're saved by grace so no one would boast and we praise God. But now we have this adversary, this devil, Satan. We're a part of this great cosmic battle as God's redeemed people. You see, we need to be aware of what's known as spiritual warfare as we walk and live for God. Because you are going to live for God and you will still have resistance. You will still have opposition. You will still have spiritual warfare. Why? Because Satan, our enemy, is one to defame God and he opposes everything and anything that gives God glory. And guess what? Now that you are redeemed, that you respond to the gospel and are a child of God, praising God, living for God, you know what our main goal is? Is to give God glory. So the enemy, Satan, who wants to give no glory fame and no glory to God, he will now attack his children, God's children, us, you and I. And we actually get entered into this opposition by actually obeying God. So now we're in this direct opposition with Satan, our flesh, and the world system. Something we're going to dive deep into over July, basically, in our summer course or class um, at Carmela Coffee to talk about like what are, what are the oppositions of our soul? Why are we not having peace? And what are these enemies and how do we overcome them? You know, Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And this applies to us all right now. We are called to fight the good fight of faith. You can fight for a lot of bad things, but God calls us to fight for his glory, for his fame, for his worship, for his honor. And when you submit your life to him, you actually bring glory to God and he's pleased by our faith. But there are people and opposition and spiritual principalities that do not want us to remain strong in the grace of God, to not give him glory. 
You see, we do this as Christians by not in our own flesh, but relying on the Spirit and straying strong, fighting the good fight by God's grace, by living according to his word. The Bible says that me and you and I, people that are redeemed, are to live by faith and not by sight. What God says goes, and we have to have faith to take every thought captive to obedience to live for Christ. God is glorified when we do that, but it's not always easy, is it? It's hard. So we wrestle against our flesh. We wrestle against the world telling us not to do that. We wrestle against the actual devil, Satan himself, spiritual opposition. And now we're in this section of Exodus, which it brings up this important and big theme of redemption, spiritual opposition, because Pharaoh and Egypt, we're going to learn, represent in this book a big cosmic spiritual battle as well. Pharaoh representing Satan, a great adversary, a, a one that opposes Moses, Aaron, and the people of God. And Egypt represents the ways of the world, the world system. God wants to show us throughout this story that he is greater than all of our enemies, including greater than us being our own gods. So God uses this opposition to prove to the Israelites, the Egyptians, even to us, that he is the great I am, as we sang, Yahweh, the great I am, and what that looks like. He is the true and living king to be worshiped alone. And we find ourselves in Exodus chapter five, verse one through four, in unexpected result of Moses' obedience. So if you have a Bible, have it open, have your finger out to Exodus chapter five. We're gonna read a lot and walk through this story. And it says this, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, this Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, well, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword, people, uh, uh, or with the sword. But in verse four, the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Get back to your burdens. Let's pause right there and see what's going on. When we look at these verses, we see an unexpected result. Pharaoh told Moses in verse four, hey, get back to your burdens. I'm not listening to you. Now, we have to understand, let's wait, let's think about the story and all the study we've done so far. Moses just met with God. He's telling Pharaoh this. Hey, I met with the living God, this whole burning in the bush thing. Yeah, that was Moses. He went, he was called by God. This is really amazing. God assures him over and over again as he has a conversation from this calling, the burning of the bush, that, that he would work, that God would work. And then Moses and Aaron tell the people, and the people worship. Do you remember that? In verse one, it says afterwards. That means like a therefore or because or it's in the middle of the story. After what? After all of this incredible working of God, it didn't go as Moses or the people would have planned. Because Pharaoh in verse two says, well, who is your Lord? I, I don't know who he is that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord. Now notice what Pharaoh wanted when God wanted and this is always important to understand. As we journey through this, you need to see this sort of like the good shepherd and there's this false shepherd. 
Satan, this thief. The good shepherd God wanted his people to find rest and have a feast. Have rest and have a feast. Pharaoh wanted the people to work and to suffer. Who are you following? Who would you want to follow? God is the obvious answer to get rest, enjoyment, feast, celebration. But Pharaoh wanted the people to work, to suffer. And Pharaoh wasn't just going to go let, um, going to let God give him some orders. Why? Because Pharaoh didn't know this God. He said, I, I, don't, I don't know your God. Now, you have to understand, as I was reading commentaries, pharaohs were considered to be their own gods in that day, not only with authority as being a king and a dictator, but also in general in their spirituality and their religion. One commentator said this, in Egypt, Pharaoh himself was regarded as a god. Egypt was in the land of many deities, and the chief gods such as Amun, Ray and Horus, they were called the great gods. Pharaohs were considered to be the descendants of Ray, and while they reigned, they were typically identified as the good god. They would have been known as the land as the good god, a son of Ray, the sun god. They played the role of being God. Another commentator said this Remember that Pharaoh was considered a god in the land, he was worshiped. Colossal structures and sculptures bearing his name towered the blue Egyptian skies. What he said, well, it was law and there was no appeal. He held life and death in the casual snap of his fingers. This is the position, the power of a Pharaoh in the land. Pharaoh would actually act like God, believe his hype, and actually receive worship as God. And so in verse 3, Moses is graciously, graciously saying, you ain't God, bro. Here's your warning. God met with me. He's real. You got to do this. Because in verse 3, he would tell Pharaoh, hey, you need to obey God. I met with him, Yahweh, the great I am, and you are not him. And he's about to prove himself to you. But before he does that, he's going to give you a warning. Here's your chance. You see, Moses met with the great I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and told Pharaoh exactly what he was going to do before it would take place. You remember that calling when Moses spoke out in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. He would tell Moses to say, hey, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Go and worship or else. Or else I'll stretch out my mighty hand and I'll prove to this Pharaoh, this God, who he is, and I'll prove to everyone in the nation God was giving Pharaoh a chance to obey before all of these plagues of proof were about to come that would even take Pharaoh's own son. And God was going to prove that he was God, just like he'll prove to us that he is God. And he gives us warning. But Pharaoh told the people, get back to your burdens. I'm not gonna believe that there's a God and he's that. I'm, I'm my own God, I'm, I'm deity. He wanted to play God and be God. And what we're going to read in response is because of Pharaoh's disobedience. Now, before we judge Pharaoh too much, before we move too quickly from this point, let me remind you that we have the same type of response when we disobey God and don't obey, acting as if we are God or a Pharaoh ruling our lives. Oftentimes, our flesh deceives us. The enemy deceives us, saying, you, you, 
you know, eat this fruit. Really do this and disobey God so you can be like God. There's a better plan. You don't need to rest and feast. No, keep on doing this. Be your own God. Anytime we want to play the role of God and not obey Jesus, at times, even though God warns us, he proves to us that he is king. He disciplines those he loves. So even as believers, when we try to play God and when we are not, he'll correct us. But he also proves to the world. And he stretches out his arm and says, hey, you can't ignore what I've said. Listen, Christian, we cannot ignore what God's word says. When we do, we don't know him. When we don't know God and his word, we end up doing stupid, dumb things, just like Pharaoh, our own ways. Because what was Pharaoh's response? I'm not going to obey God because I do not know God. For us, we need to know God, what he said, not harden our hearts and surrender to what he has said and let him be God because we are not. We want to rule our own lives, not submit to the true and living king. And even when it brings us burdens, what was the result? Pharaoh said, no, get back to your burdens. Even when we go and are stubborn and brings us burdens, God is gracious enough to say, but all who come to me, I'm gentle and lowly, you could find rest. And God gives an invitation to us daily to be with him, to know him, to allow him to rule and reign our lives. And so in verse five and nine, they give us sort of Pharaoh's response to this word of the Lord from Moses. Verse five says this, but, and Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavy work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh's response says, let's make it harder for the people. Did you notice that in verse nine? It says, let heavier work be laid on the men. And the heavy work involved this, making the same amount of bricks, but now with no straw. You know, they would make bricks, they would put straw in it, the sun would heat it, it would become a firm thing. We've talked about how they built pyramids, how they built all these structures by these bricks and now they were slaves in the land. It was already hard. They were already having a tough time. And Pharaoh says, now I'm not gonna give you any straw. Go find your own straw, but you have to make the same amount of bricks, which means this will be like double the work. They had to go out into the land, find their own straw, bring it back. And now, rather than having eight hours, however long it took the straw, they have to make the same amount of bricks, however long that would be. Straw was a major component to make the bricks, but now the slaves had to find it their own. It doubled the work. Notice that Pharaoh's sinful response of acting like a god affected not only himself, but it affected the nation and other people in a negative way, in a harmful way. And this heavier burden 
happens to people around us as we act like our own gods as well. It not only affects your own life when you sin, but it affects people around you, people you're responsible for, people that are even friends. The sin of not following God is a harmful result. And in verse 10 through 14, it really shows us the unreasonableness of sin, the craziness of sin. Sin always demands too much for us as human beings and is never satisfied. It never satisfies us. This is why when speaking of faith in Moses, Hebrews eleven twenty five said he forsook Egypt because he knew that there would be fleeting pleasures gone. He didn't trust it. Hebrews eleven twenty five tells us that sin is pleasurable for a moment, but then it's fleeting. It's a deception. It's crazy. And so verses 10 through 14 really explain the result of this crazy request. Hey, make the same amount of bricks, but no straw. These people are, they're idle, they're lazy. I'm gonna prove that I'm God, not God himself. And now sin is ruling and reigning Pharaoh's life. It's affecting not only his pride and he's trying to prove to be God, but now it's affecting other people. Look at verses 10 through 14. Well, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants Yet they say, make bricks, and behold, hold on, did I just skip a section? I did. Verse 10, sorry, I went straight to 15, which is a different paragraph in my Bible. Verse 10, so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, they're giving orders to Pharaoh what he said, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set them uh, over them, were beaten and were asked, why had you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past. Well, buddy, it's because you demanded a lot. I mean, this just makes perfect sense. They're getting beat. It's actually going. Why were they beaten? Why didn't they get the, the job done? Because the request was unreasonable. It was crazy. I think it's important to say, as we study and navigate this life, that this world is broken and sin is crazy. It's just unreasonable. It don't make any sense sometimes how our flesh gives into sin and then acts as if that sin is going to produce good results. But yet we fall short, don't we? We mess with sin and we cover it over. Listen, whenever we as human beings go against God, which is the revolt of God, which is the definition of sin, it's not wise for us. It doesn't make sense. They're literally beating the slaves because they couldn't do the same thing they already had a hard time doing. Now they're saying, no straw. And they're saying, well, why aren't you getting it done? And they're continually going after him. It's like, well, dude, I'm not getting it done because I don't have the energy, I don't have the time. There's, there's too much of a demand on me. This is what sin does. It brings a burden on people. It brings too much of a demand. The wages of sin is death. If you sow the flesh, you'll reap corruption. This is what sin produces. And people... 
they, they brush sin under the rug, acting as if it's not that big of a deal. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said on behalf of God to the people of God about this idea of sin and living in sin. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's all backwards. It's all messed up. This is why 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says that in the last days there will be difficult times of difficulty because people will fall into the flesh and go their own way, acting as if they're gods, and then we'll have the result of that sin all around us as they live for God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 4, Paul would tell Timothy this and us, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, truth, what God actually has to say. Isn't that what Moses gave to Pharaoh? Just what God had to say? But having itching ears, they will accommodate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, people wonder and ask all the time, what in the world is going on in our world today? I mean, I just, it's, it's dumbfounded. You're dumbfounded when you see people say, this is good and this is evil. No, no, no. Following God is evil and worshiping Satan is good. Are people out of their minds? No. They're in their sin. That's what's taking place. This is what we see. They're, they're living after lies, being deceived, living after myth, and not following God and his word. And it goes nuts. And then people have the audacity to say, what's wrong with all these people? Sin. This is why we need a savior to save us from this craziness of sin. You have to understand they're demanding the same amount of bricks, giving way more than they can ask, and then they're acting as if they're shocked. People are doing whatever they want, rebelling against God, and now the world is acting as if the results we have in these last days are a shock. They're not. God has warned us. He's given us truth. We cannot expect to get great results acting as if we are God, rebelling against God's word. And so in verse 15 through 20, the people are now experiencing once again the result of sin and slavery. Here is the result of sin and slavery, the part I accidentally moved forward in. Verse 15, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. It's like they're dumbfounded, like, guys, what are you crazy? Like, we're your slaves. We're getting stuff done for you, and you're still treating us like garbage? And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said to them, you were idle. You are idle. Really? They were idle making all those bricks? No, that's pride. That's pride right there. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Then in verse 20 and 21, they met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand 
to kill us. Now listen, the people are now physically seeing the harm and the result of sin. Because in verse 19, it says, they saw that they were in trouble. You ever have those moments in your life? You just know, it's like slow, you're going to get in a car wreck and it's like slow motion. You see, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get in a wreck. They saw the result of sin. But here's the problem that the Israelites have in this moment. Instead of going to God for help, they start to blame Moses and don't trust God. The Israelites are confused. They don't understand what's going on. And rather than having the discernment and applying the word of God to their life, they were suffering because God had a plan and told them God was actually a part of this. They were going to God and complaining. They were suffering and God was not freeing them immediately. They were rejoicing just a chapter before, believing in God and his word. But now as they're experiencing opposition and walking through this plan, they're complaining. Rather than taking their confusion and frustration to God, they brought their confusion and frustration to Moses and Aaron and started to complain, blame others, and not actually trust in what God's plan was. You see, the reality was this was a part of God's plan. Let me reread this to you because this is something they told the Israelites in chapter 4. In verses 19 and 20, this is what God said to Moses. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. It's a pretty important thing to understand. God is laying them out how he's going to show his glory. And Aaron and Moses had told the people all that the Lord had said. Chapter 4, verse 30, it says. Everything the Lord had said, what we just read, they told to the people. In verse 31, the people rejoice. Yay, this is what God said. But they tend to have selective hearing, just like sometimes me and you have selective hearing. Like, no, 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 God's not gonna save you from that trial. He's gonna walk with you in that trial. This is not just about us getting our way. It's bringing God glory. And now the people are complaining because they weren't getting what they wanted in their own timing. This is a common theme, right? Isn't it what happened with Moses? He didn't get what he wanted in his own timing, and he just went off the rails and killed someone. Now these people are about to kill him because they're not getting what they want in their own timing. You see, when they believed in God in verse 31 of chapter 4, they were rejoicing. But now they're in disbelief and they're complaining. This should help us to see, listen, when we don't get what we want or as we're walking with God, are we complaining or are we rejoicing? This is the will of God that you would give thanks to God in all circumstances, the Bible says. First Thessalonians chapter five. Where does our voice lead us? Maybe we should look at what we're saying and how we're speaking and what we're believing and saying, does this match what God has said? Are we a people of thanks, rejoicing, believing in God's promises? Or do we all have a tendency to complain and whine and see disbelief in our life? This was a part of God working this way with a delay. I know it's a bummer, but it's again a theme. God was working this way 
was not only to show Pharaoh that he was God, like Exodus 7, 5 will tell us, but it was also working this way to show the Israelites that he was God. God wanted to prove to them that he was God as well and how he delivered them. And we know this because of God's response. Now, we're gonna finish the response, but go just to chapter six, verse five through seven, because God would give us this insight to Moses as Moses is saying, God, well, why are you doing this? And what is all this stuff going on? Moreover, God would say, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Israelites hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God wanted them to know that he was Yahweh, that he was greater than all these deities. And he said, I will do this who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God would display his might to not only the nation of Egypt, but the nation of Israel because he wanted them to have faith and trust in him. He wanted them to know because when we know God, we obey God, we worship God. That was the whole point of bringing them out even for three days in this gracious offer, what? To worship. And God wanted the people that would worship him, would know him. One commentary said this, we see one of the reasons why the upcoming state of miracles, these plagues, were necessary. Only through the visible exercise of God's power would his people realize just who he is and learn to trust him. And we see these people's response of unbelief because in verse nine of chapter six, it tells us this. Moses spoke this to the people of the Israelites, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Because of what they were going through and what they were putting their eyes on, they had unbelief in what God wanted to do and fulfill. And they needed God to free them from this, to work in their life in such a way that would help their unbelief. And yet we see a different response by Moses to this hard situation, faith. He was still confused, he still had doubts, but he brings his frustration and the confusion of the situation to God. And that's what faith is. In your faith, you can still have doubt, you can still have confusion, but it's a response, a repentance of going to God. Look what Moses says after they complain and really are about to, to go after Moses. In verse 22 and 23, it says this in chapter five, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, that turn to the Lord, it means repent, means to go to God. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses essentially says the same thing, why? The only difference is the people went to Moses and complained and Moses went straight to the Lord. And there is a difference in our lives when we go to other people and complain and we go straight to God in prayer and ask God. Moses didn't fully understand the situation, but he still trusted in God and it shows because he turned to the Lord. He turned to God with his questions. You could turn to the Lord with your questions, with your doubt, with your 
frustrations. This is what God encourages us to do. There's nothing wrong with turning to God in our confusion. In fact, God wants us to turn to him, but he wants us to go to him in belief, especially when we don't understand. Belief that he is God and he is sovereign. Belief that he is good and he can work. One commentator said this, there's a world of difference between the two responses of the unexpected setback here. The Israelites assumed the worst and immediately looked around for someone to blame. In stark contrast, Moses assumed that God had a reason for what happened and he asked why. The Israelites reacted in unbelief and Moses responded with faith in belief. I like what Norman Hillier said about this section. For us applying it today, he said, while Christians are not exempt from troubles, neither are they the only ones who face them. But there is a great difference. Believers are aware that there are divine resources available in faith. So unlike non-believers, they have no need to be afraid. We're all gonna go through hardship. We live in a broken world. There's sin and there's consequences of sin. But for you and I as believers, we can go to God in that hardship and we could experience divine resources available in faith and take all these burdens to God. Our faith in God has a real and impactful impact in our lives and blessings as we go to him through prayer. Now in verses one through 13 of chapter six, God is now going to respond to Moses and the situation, and he's going to promise great deliverance. God is now going to meet Moses where he is at as he always meets us where we are at. He's not even going to rebuke him or correct him. He's gonna pour in the promises that he has, his word, to build him up. This is how we build ourselves up. This is why we're here tonight, to get promises from God's word and to infuse it into our lives to have hope. I love what one person said about hope and promises. He says, promises provide us with hope of what is to come. In the midst of darkness, promises remind us of the glory of God. We need to see more of God's glory in order to have hope of the situation that is all around us because it's grim. It's grim and it's hard, but we have great and precious promises, Peter says, that we can claim and we can walk with God and know God in these ways. So God wanted Moses and us to be reminded two things in this text he's about to respond. Who he is and what he would do. And this is important because God still wants to remind you and I who he is and what he will do. God promises great deliverance to the Israelites, but he gives us great promises of deliverance right now as we live for him, despite the hard and impossible situation. I was reading uh, uh, more of a book on Moses from a guy named Chuck Swindoll, and he points out this important principle for us to look at what God would say in this chapter. He said, I like to underline a major truth in this world of ours that I don't pretend to understand. And here it is. The best framework for the Lord uh, God to do his most ideal work is when things are absolutely impossible and we feel totally unqualified to handle it. That's his favorite circumstance. Those, uh, these things, uh, 
of, of, of working in ideal situations and circumstances is when we think they're impossible. He goes on and says, God does his most magnificent, magnificent work from a human point of view. Uh, he does his most magnificent work when the situation seems totally impossible from a human point of view. And we feel absolutely unprepared and unable to do anything about it. It's like, you want a miracle? Great. Let's get in a situation where you need a miracle. This is just how God works. He wants to, remember, show his glory off to the nation. He wants to show even to his people his glory. In order to do that, he has to do some things to show you his glory, to show you, you can't do this, but I can. And he continues to work in these miraculous ways. Remember, nothing is impossible for God. It's in these great impossible moments that God gets the most glory and we are in awe of him. And it's in these impossible moments that he reminds us who he is and what he will do. And he proves even to us that he is God. And that's what he's going to do in this section as he pulls the nation out from slavery and as he works in our lives and redeems us and sanctifies us. He does impossible things and uses situations that are hard to receive glory and to receive awe as he promises deliverance for all of us. Now, let's read this last section. It's a long section, but we've already read some of it and covered it. Verses one through 13. Now, this is the Lord responding to Moses. Now, you shall see what I do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. He's reassuring what he said. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan in the land in which they were sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I remember my covenants. I remember the promises I gave to the people. So say therefore in verse six to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will deliver you with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And verse nine, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, well, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I have an uh, uh, I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge or a direct order about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God wanted in this moment a reassurance and a charge to Moses to continue to obey him in a hard time. God gives us reminders that he is God 
He will do things, but he wants our obedience to trust him, to watch him work. And God encourages Moses by reminding him of who he was and what he would do. The first thing he does is he reminds Moses who he is. Did you notice that? Did you pick up on that? In verse two, it says, I am the Lord. Verse six, it says, I am the Lord. Verse seven, I am the Lord. Verse eight, I am the Lord. God is over and over again again saying, remember who I am in your hard situation. Christian, remember who God is in your hard situation. What an important reminder we all need during difficult times. We serve Yahweh, the great I am. God is sovereign, the Lord of the universe. He cannot do what is unjust. It is against his nature. He has never lost control. He is always faithful. He is changeless. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, compassionate, gracious, wise, loving, sovereign, reliable. Remind yourself the truth of what God has told us, who he is. He is the Lord, and this is our God, no matter what the circumstance or what we go through. We will overcome discouragement when we put our eyes on the Lord and look to his nature and who he is rather than our nature and who we are and our hard circumstances. And this is why the writer of Hebrews would exhort us to continue to look to who God is, Jesus himself, in spite of the hard and impossible situations in our life. Hebrews 3, 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Chuck Swindoll said this, there is no better therapy. There is no substitute that replaces this. There is no neat, clever little saying or motto that substitutes or states it better. Fix your eyes on the Lord. Do it once, do it daily, do it 10,000 times, times 10,000 times. Do it consistently when your schedule presses, when your prospects thin, when your hope burdens low, when people disappoint you or when events turn against you, when dreams die, when walls close in, when the prognosis seems grim, when your heart breaks, look to the Lord and keep looking at him. That is an encouragement that we need to preach to ourselves over and over and over again. He is Yahweh, the great I am. We look to the Lord in our impossible situations and Moses is getting that reminder just like we're getting the reminder today. This is who God is. How important for us to look to the person of God in all of our circumstances, not to ignore our circumstances, but just to look to God It's so important that God tells Moses over and over and over and over again. So God reminds Moses of his nature. But in his nature, he gives something tangible for that moment as well. He gives great promises. He's a great God that gives great promises. Now notice in this section, there's this little phrase, I will. I will. It's not even a declaration of based on what you have to do. It's just who God is and what he will do. And it's said seven times in this interaction with Moses. Verse six, he says, I will bring. I will deliver. I will redeem. Verse seven says, I will take. I will be. Verse eight says, I will bring. I will give. 
And you can break these sort of statements up into four encouraging promises for the nation, for Moses, and for us today in Christ. First is this, God promises liberation. And God gives us liberation or freedom in Christ, doesn't he? He says, I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and free you from slavery to them. This is a picture of salvation and how God delivers us from the slavery, the slavery of sin and how he frees even us today through Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves of sin in Christ and God promises liberation, freedom, not only to this nation, but to us in Christ. The second thing he says, he promises redemption. And God gives us redemption in Jesus. Verse six says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Just as God redeemed the Israelites, he has redeemed us by his great act of shedding his own blood. Fully God becoming fully man, living a life you and I couldn't live, dying on the cross, three days later rising again, he redeems, he saves. And this redemption, this idea is a buying back or purchasing with a great price. This is exactly what Jesus did and has done through his blood. He has redeemed us. In our discouragement, we need to remember we have a great redeemer. Number three, God promises adoption. And through Jesus, God gives us adoption. Verse seven says, I will take you as my people. So now it's, it's not just this deity, this God out there, he's my people. I will be your God and you will know that I am Yahweh your God who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. Through adoption, God has made us family. He loves us, adopts us, chooses us calls us son. We are highly favored in Christ. Jesus taught us as we talk to God to call him father and holy or accepted in love, not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done. God promises that and gives us that. Lastly, God promises inheritance and God gives us a great inheritance in Jesus. Verse eight says, I will bring you to the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. God promises his people that they will possess a country, a land, an actual place. And God promises you and I, those that believe in Jesus, that we will have a new heavens and a new earth for all eternity, the hope of heaven, an actual place, eternal life. In Christ, we have this. God promises his people that they will possess a country. First Peter 4, 1.4 says that we have this inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupt, unfading, kept in heaven for us. And first, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And we are to be encouraged by the precious promises and person of God as we go in this life with a living hope looking to Jesus. As we face our hard situations, God promises us deliverance. He promises us hope with who he is and what he can do. And we are to be reminded of the person of God and the promises of God as we look to God in the midst of our hard trials. God wants us to look to him, to be encouraged by him, and he delivers himself to us in his great mercy. So even when things aren't going the way we think or the way that we want, let us continue to look to Jesus, this great God and his great word 
to find hope and encouragement, just as he wants Moses to look to him and his great nature and his word in the moment of his impossible situation. And as we do, we'll find hope. For our God still today promises us great deliverance. Not to just have the trial go away, but to walk with us. He walks with us. He loves us. And it's our role by faith to live by faith and not by sight. Continue to celebrate who he is and take the promises of God and to be encouraged by them. So let's do that now and let's respond in communion. God, we thank you so much for this text and these reminders. We thank you for this story, Lord. It reminds us, Lord, that you have a personal hand on our life and a story. And you tell us, Lord, as we come together, believing that you are God and writing the story of our lives, that we just surrender to your spirit, that we should be remind ourselves of the beautiful grace that we have in you, this good news, this gospel, to take the bread and the juice, the body beaten for us, your blood shed for us. And God, it also reminds us of the hope that we have because you said that in that, we remember that you are coming back again. And so we wanna just do that now. We wanna be reminded of the person of you, who you are. We wanna say thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you are a good God, that you are a great God. We pray, Lord, for those that are going through a hard situation, that you, by your spirit, would encourage them that would take them out of the miry pit and lift them up. That they would believe in you once again. Build our faith, Lord, and we come to you by faith now as we celebrate and close our service with communion, knowing, Lord, that we need your grace. Moses in this situation wasn't the great deliverer. The people knew it, he knew it. He needed you. And Lord, in the midst of our trials, we need to understand that we are not the great deliverer. We need your grace. We need you to do the work. So fight our battles, help us to live by faith and not by sight, and continue to trust you. May we respond appropriately, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.